Peter, I, I love your personal site for, <laughs> for quite a few reasons. It's nice, simple, kind of no nonsense. It uh, plays, I think, to your strengths as a writer. You have this, uh, this fantastic, brutally honest uh, bio is kind of how you positioned it. And so while today you manage strategic partnerships at Mozilla, you work with folks like Apple, Google, Amazon, a lot of interesting things we can talk about. So I'd like to touch on your background with Jabber and XMPP. But before that, uh, just to sort of establish a, a baseline, I'm curious to just hear your thoughts on the world of WordPress. Like what's your perspective of WordPress, uh, background history in it? Like how do you think about WordPress? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I, I know Matt, uh, I've known Matt for many years in the open source community. The open source community was, was a lot smaller back then and people weren't, not everything was open source. Right. And so you kind of yeah. get to know people and I've known Matt for many years and, uh, I'll tell you an interesting story in a minute, but, uh, um, I love interesting stories. A, a about little, Matt. little known fact about WordPress history that I'll, I'll reveal to you in nice. a little bit here, keep you in suspense. <laughs> uh, so I've run WordPress for a long time. Uh, you saw my website. Actually, that's just built using HTML, um, but I definitely have hosted uh, WordPress sites for friends. I used to run it on my VPS for many years. You know, my wife's got a little consulting business. Hey, let's get WordPress going. Let's get WordPress going. And it's it's something that to me has traditionally always been so easy, uh, and I can get people set up with it very quickly, and they. It's intuitive. It's so intuitive that hey, you know, I can start blogging or I can get my website up, and that is so empowering for people, right? I mean, yeah. it used to be in the earlier days before there was something like WordPress, you had to be kind of geeky to figure it all out, and WordPress makes that so easy, and you, that's why so many sites around the world are hosted with WordPress because now I've got a voice. I can get my company out there, especially with things like WooCommerce right now. I've got a plugin. Yeah. I can take some payments. I can sell some little tchotchkes or whatever I'm building or service that I've got. And it's so powerful for people to have that voice and be able to get on the internet and share what they've got to offer. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, I mean, I think to me, WordPress you know, Mozilla and WordPress have a lot in common. I think that open source heritage. Um, but to me, WordPress is such a big part of the open web. That's a lot of, so much of what people put out there, what makes it go is WordPress. When I think about the open web and I think about the real bastions, the real fighters for, you know, open standards and open source, uh, especially people who are out there with products and out there, um, you know, with customers, I think of Mozilla and I think of WordPress. Who am I missing? Who else is there? Well, of course, there's there's a lot of stuff on the server side that makes it go, right? right? Nginx, it used to be Apache, things like that, right? And so there, there's the databases. Obviously, there's things like PHP, which uh, WordPress is built on. There's a lot of sort of the underlying tooling, mm, OpenSSL. Uh, you know, Mozilla was one of the co-founders of Let's Encrypt. Now that makes it easy for people to get um, certificates, which used to be a real pain to get those acquired and create your CSR, point. right? And all those kinds of things. So there's a lot of things that kind of plumbing that a lot of people don't pay attention to and aren't so user-facing that are super critical to making the internet go. Yeah, that's a great point. I, and when I think about the, the the brand names, you know, the the names that people recognize, the names that people would understand who aren't in tech, 
you know, people have heard of Firefox, mm. people have heard of, of WordPress. It, it almost seems like we're a little unrepresented when you compare it to, you know, who are the big tech companies, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Apple. They're all really proprietary based companies, you know, why aren't there more big, well-known brands that are in open source? <laughs> well, it's hard. Uh, you know, you go back even to the early days of someone like um, ESR talking about the different business models of open source and Red Hat obviously, you know, made a, a really good run at one of those business models. I think yep. WordPress has, has done well on another. Mozilla has a business model, if you will, of based on search ad revenue. So, you know, as people search for things in the browser, we get some little cut of revenue from those things. There are different models. Um, every space, every company, every project is different in my experience. I worked on Jabber for a long time. We had our own little model. Um, and it's kind of the stars have to align. You have to find something that really works over the long haul in order to make a go of that kind of thing. And sometimes it's not sustainable or the market changes and you can't adapt. Uh, obviously, there are very large uh, organizations who make it difficult also to thrive because they kind of come in and take over a space and then you look at what happened, uh, for instance, with Netscape, right? Going way yeah. back, Netscape had a browser. You could buy the browser. And then when Microsoft started bundling IE, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Netscape's valuation cratered. And that's yeah. where Mozilla got born out of that, that you know, those ashes. So it, it, it's just very difficult to make a long-term play in open source, I think, at that level. There are lots of projects and a lot of companies that do things, but it's hard to make a, a long-term go. And then how should we feel about the, these big proprietary companies working on open source? You know, Google has, it works on <laughs> AMP and Android and, and Chrome. There's aspects of that. Apple's contributed to WebKit, Facebook to React. How do we feel about these projects, do you think? Like, and how should we feel about them? Well, open source used to really be community-based. Mm -hmm. And you had a community. Now, sometimes people got paid to work on those things. But I think it really was a community. And I still know some communities around, around Jabber, for instance, and so on, where great contributions, people really working together. Um, what I think has happened is, in a way, open source has been kind of commodified. And when you have something that is, oh, yes, the source is open, but the direction of the project or the um, <laughs> the pressures on that project, right? I mean, you, you look at something like Android or Chromium, uh, you, you, you can't imagine that those aren't heavily directed and impacted by Google's business model. It's yeah. just impossible, right? Uh, so I always am a little bit skeptical about those sorts of things because, it, yes, it's open source, but is it really something that it, – it's not – it's not there for necessarily for completely for public benefit or for the benefit of users. Something that I've, I've been thinking about for a while, I had the privilege of working with Google fairly early on. Luke was involved as well when they sort of started working into the WordPress project, this more recent foray, right? Don't go telling people that Jonathan, that's a, that's my dirty little secret. <laughs> and, and the thing about 
that that I sort of we there was some initial hesitance internally. Oh, is this a good idea or is this not? And the thing that really struck me and, and, and is what I still believe to be the case is if I first take a step back and look at aligned incentives. For me, Google's aligned incentive is for there to be an open web, right? Their business model is dependent on there being and and so when I look at their interest in seeing WordPress be faster and more secure. I see a business model alignment. I think where if 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 I were to express any cynicism, uh, or it would be in with like proprietary technologies in general, it's like I trust them to do what's best ultimately for their business. And so the ideal, from my perspective, is to find places of tension where you try to get the best of both worlds: the big company involvement, also individual contribution, and ideally have t- healthy tension between them. You've brought up a really good point, Jonathan, which is that uh, we haven't really defined open web in this conversation because mm. I've been talking about the difference between open source and proprietary, but there's also the difference between you know, openly accessible, you know, open in the sense of I can find it through the, you know, I can type in the URL um, versus a, you know, a Facebook page that's on a closed platform. So... Peter, when you think about the open web, like how, how do you define that? <laughs> uh, well, I think there are some core principles behind that. The, the URL is one of them, discoverability. Uh, we, I would also think of the ability to get onto the open web or get onto the web and provide have a presence there that's not um, dependent upon mm. a large entity for as a gatekeeper. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I can download the WordPress packages and I can run them and, or I can host them with someone and I'm not, I'm not at the mercy of let's say Facebook, which has a platform and has obviously billions of users and people get value out of that, but they're in control ultimately. Yeah. Not the user or the author or the publisher or the podcaster or whoever, right there. Those folks are, are, at some level, kind of second-class citizens. Yeah. Oh, man. So my point of view, my position on this is I, I think Facebook has actually done a lot of good for the world. And proprietary companies, like in general, sort of lumping them up for a moment, there's a lot of value. The challenge comes in when there's not healthy tension. And for me, like, you know, setting setting aside the good and the value for a moment, it's like, okay, where, where should that tension be? I agree entirely. This idea of an open web in my mind has this accessibility inherent, people being able to get onto it, being able to interact with it. The other thing that's come up in my thinking is the importance of being able to also create on Mm -hmm. it, which is where I think WordPress really comes in. It's not, to me, it's like, and I think about this through the lens of my kids. I, I love having devices that they can use to consume things. At the end of the day, though, I also want them to be able to create things. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like inherently like human, like we should be creating things. And the open web is such an incredible playground for creativity. And I, that to me seems like a, a particularly important attribute of an open web, one where you can create something that I never imagined, whether yes. I like it or not. Right. <laughs> I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if you ever follow, uh, have read or followed Stowe Boyd. 
Uh, I don't think so. He was he was a very popular, well, not very popular, but certainly certainly one of my favorite commenters on the web mm. years ago. He's still very active. Um, he used to talk about edgelings. So the edgelings were the people on the edge who are not just consuming, but they're adding to the web. Oh, and that additive quality, I think, is critically important. And again, that's why I think something like why WordPress is so important, because it makes it so easy to get on there and add your voice to the conversation. My so I have a ten year old son and a seven year old daughter, and they both have their own WordPress sites, and <laughs> it is is great, right? Because they use they use the WordPress app on an iOS device mm. to interact with their sites, and I really enjoyed watching the intuitiveness of that. Because initially, my my resistance was, oh man, I'm going to have to show them how to use a mouse and a keyboard and set up a station for them, all of which I want to do. But to see my seven year old daughter blogging and like creating <laughs> content. And interface, and then being able to get it out into the web through her WordPress instance. To, to me, that was a very encouraging moment about the future, and a good example, at least in my mind, of blending these this the the value of proprietary things. Like Apple has a very sort of proprietary lockdown approach, which also means that I trust it in my daughter's hands. But yet, I don't want that to be the extent of the web for her. It's not for sure. Well, I think one of the things that WordPress has done well, um, you know, there's the new blocks interface and it makes it easy once you learn how it works. Uh, you know, it used to be that you'd have to be able to get your image tags set up right and, you know, layouts and all. Now you don't have to know all that kind of stuff, but you can still create things that are. I think what's important for me from a technical standpoint is that you still have that semantic Yes. information there, right? It's not like being out on AOL or Facebook or AOL in the old days and Facebook nowadays, right? Where it's kind of opaque what's really going on. Uh, but with WordPress, yeah, I've got the nice tools and interface to make it go for even your seven-year-old. Um, but underneath it, it's still the web. It's still HTML and the, and the image tags and stuff like that. You can still understand how it works. And and I go back and toggle back and forth as some, a more advanced user between editing the HTML myself or the CSS myself myself and using something like the blocks Same. interface that's pretty that's pretty powerful awesome so I, I was reading the xmpp like some of the documentation and uh, mm. just just some background and context on the project i've been looking at matrix recently as we're yep. looking at moving from slack to matrix sort of as a project and one of the things that struck me uh, I, f I forget who it was that was writing it, but there was like an FAQ section where they were addressing common myths about XMPP. Mm. And and one of them was things like, oh, it has carrots, so it must be bad um, <laughs> versus versus, you know, the JSON as a syntax. Right. And uh, so the, the one idea that stood out was an interesting similarity that I recognize between XMPP and WordPress, this idea of a, a leaner core and extendability. And I'm, I'm curious from your experience, having been actively involved in that, are there any, and, and as an open source project, something that's had, from my perspective, as I looked into it, a lot more influence than you'd think uh, in terms of how it's used and, and where it's used. Are there any similarities that you've noticed between the projects, given your background? Yeah, so uh, the angle brackets, right? I mean, uh, my f good friend Jeremy Miller, who'd be an interesting person to interview sometime, mm. uh, invented Jabber. And back in 98, he started working on things. And there was no JSON, of course. So what was the best sort of markup language available? XML existed. And so he had this idea to kind of stream, have a streaming XML transport. 
Um, and one of the nice things about XML and JSON and other formats like that is they are extensible, right? So yeah. we had this core uh, primitives of sending a message, being able to send a query and get a response and presence, what we call presence. So are you online or not? Which yep. back in 98, there was no guarantee that anyone was going to be online. We didn't have smartphones that were always on, right? Um, so presence was a, was a critically important uh, concept, but we could extend presence. So then we could, just like you have in Slack or Matrix or something like that, you could set your, say that you're in a meeting or something like that. Those are all basically extensions upon the core concept mm. of are you available or not. Um, so, so we built a lot and had continued to build a lot on that on that foundation. I have I'm not super involved in the Jabber XMPP world anymore because I've I got involved in other things and, and yep. was a CTO for some companies and, and you know busy at Mozilla. But you know that community continues to work on things. It's it's very still used quite a bit. Um, it's more it was more always used for more for one to one communication mm -hmm. as opposed to let's say IRC or Matrix or something like that. Very group based, team based. Yep. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. So, so we've been talking about the open web and I'm curious to hear your perspective on both the opportunities and risks as you look at the future. Like you've been watching an, an active part of the development of the web. Like what, what are you excited about? What, what concerns do you have for the future? Uh, well, obviously there's mobile and app stores and a lot of, and things like, uh, you know, Facebook and, and so on, where a lot of things have gone more proprietary or less transparent, not so much the semantic markup of things. Um, I think you're, you know, I, I think you work on WooCommerce, uh, Jonathan, and um, the ability to monetize uh, through app stores, uh, although, uh, you know, sometimes you might not want people taking a 30% cut, yeah. uh, but a lot of folks even build uh, apps using web technology, but how do they monetize it? Well, yep. they can only monetize it through an app store. That's a real shame and something that I think as a the web community really needs to put more effort in. And I've been doing some work on payments over the last few years hmm. and explore, learning more about that space. And I think that's a critical thing. I think there are, you know, on, in mobile, there are things that are just so, um, fast in terms of the UI widgets and things like that to have that native experience. It's hard to duplicate that in the web, but I think there are things that we could do on the web that would make animations work better, um, you know, things like that. And so those are, I don't deal, the web's not going the right way, right? Yeah. But it, the, for yeah. the, for the huge apps that really take off, you know, the Instagrams and the TikToks and all the other things that are out there. Those folks go, they go mobile first and sometimes they go mobile only um, because they really want that stickiness. They want you there all the time, as opposed to something like a blog where it's more of a casual interaction. It's you don't, not everyone who's got a WordPress blog is going to create a, a mobile app at yeah. all, right? Because that's not who they're trying to be. They're not trying to be the next billion user app. Um, and the web, I think, is great for those things. And the, I think the web is also great for interactions that are more casual, like let's say Airbnb, something like that. Like maybe they've got a really good mobile site as opposed to having a mobile app because I'm not traveling all the time. I don't need that sticky uh, experience in something like Airbnb as mm -hmm. opposed to, let's say, something like Twitter or TikTok or Tinder or whatever, where I'm in there all the time and interacting very heavily. So th there's a there's always a continuum of technologies and a continuum of use cases that people have, and we can't expect any one of them to solve everything. You mentioned community earlier. 
And it strikes me that community has a really important role to play in the future of the web. And when I think about like my own kids, right? Like, so they were initially exposed to a proprietary platform for websites mm. uh, through their school. And, you know, I was obviously encouraging of it. Like, hey, this is great. You're playing with things. But at the end of the day, I, I've taught, I've spent time teaching them and talking to them about these concepts of creativity and the importance, you know, I'm, it's only loosely alluded to, but at the end of the day, I, I want them to have that sense of ownership and to be a part of something. And it occurs to me that as we look at the future, as, the, as you're going to have more and more involvement because the stakes go up and there's more and more money involved, it's just really important that we cultivate that sense of, of personal ownership and that's spread out over a diverse community because it's that's how that's how WordPress, from my perspective, has been a it's been a big part of its success. People mm -hmm. who recommend it, people who feel that sense of ownership and identity, and go to others and say, "Oh, you just need to use WordPress." Oh, yeah, it's a little harder in this area, this, but like this is what you want to do. That comes out of that sense of ownership. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. I've been I've been talking about this idea for a little while, which I call an ugly web. I, I, I want an <laughs> ugly web. Uh, and and the idea is that you know there's so many you know small businesses and cafes and that that just put their website on Facebook. It's just a Facebook page, and then you know and they all look the same. Medium sites they all look the same. Oftentimes you know when things have to look the same, it'll be this stark white, plain sort of thing. And then even with like Wix and Squarespace, there's customization there, but you can sort of tell that. This was built using one of those platforms. I mean, even WordPress, to some extent, with with its more popular themes, sometimes you can you can tell. But I would love to see the web get to a point where the tools for creativity are so easy to use and so accessible that anybody can create a website. And when that happens, you know what's going to happen: is people are going to make a mess of it. People are going <laughs> to going to be at dog's breakfast. It's going to be an ugly web. <laughs> well, uh, it doesn't sound very appealing uh, well, that, to call it the, the ugly charm. web. So we might want to change the branding. <laughs> I, I can tell you're not in marketing, Luke. Um, <laughs> I think there's a, yes, there's a certain messiness that comes with creativity, right? Yeah. And there will be experiments and some things will turn out gorgeous and some things will turn out ugly. Hopefully we, we don't go back to the old GeoCities days where things are that ugly oh, no, uh, for your I ugly love, web I of the future. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not have nostalgia for GeoCities, I'm sorry to report. One, one thing that was interesting, we talked about gradients on a, a while back because WordPress recently introduced this gradient. And the initial discussion we had is like, it, it allows for quite a bit of ugliness pretty quickly, right? And, and then I started to watch my son play with his site. He discovered themes in WordPress and pretty quickly, like our aesthetic sense diverged, right? As he <laughs> installed a theme that he was excited about, I was like, you know what? That is part of the creative process, right? Like he found something he likes that resonates and, and let him play with whatever gradients he wants to play with. I remember doing that. And I think mm -hmm. that's part of it is if I'm a designer designing something, that is kind of locked down and proprietary, it's going to be end up being an expression of what I think looks good. Whereas a creative web is one where it allows, and there's interesting ramifications when it comes to like accessibility, et cetera. At for the sure. end of the day though, it allows for you to make something that I don't like and vice versa. Well, I think that you talk about accessibility, Jonathan, um, you know, we, 
at Mozilla consider ourselves to be the user agent. You know, even mm. in 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 HTTP, there's a user agent string. Yeah. And what does that really mean? Well, we're providing agency to the user, to the person. Uh. And if there's that semantic content, I can, as the user of the browser, have certain accessibility settings that say, I want to strip out some of that ugliness or I want to have a more spare experience. True. And if, as long as that semantic content is there, the user agent at the user's behest can get at a view of that which makes sense for that person. And so I think that's wow. one of the real powers of the open web is that you've got that power on the, and that creativity on the side of the person who's creating the content, but you also have some creativity and some choice that happens on the user end as well. That's a great point. I hadn't thought of that. You're absolutely right. Like we can, uh, there's a lot of freedom there. Like when it's semantic for someone to have an add on in their browser or to use a different type of browser or with WordPress, like we, you know, we've have this podcast hosted on a WordPress site, right? Like a mm -hmm. lot of people interact with this content we're creating who never actually access our site. They right. get it or however they want to get it, whatever reader they want to get it in. Mm -hmm. So take this idea of WordPress and the open web together. When you think uh, about WordPress within the lens, within the context of the broader web, like what are some of the opportunities and risks that you see for WordPress itself kind of as a project with its current trajectory? Oh, that's a good question. I think there are, clearly there are some risks of continued centralization of content distribution. I think of things like AMP and Facebook Instant Articles and Apple News and stuff like that. And, and um, if the way, only way that you can get to something or the primary way or the encouraged way based on search results or whatever is yeah. through a system like that, now those are choke points. And, you know, ch choking things is not good for openness, yeah. uh, shall we say. And so I think I see a real risk there. And, and, we work a lot with publishers, um, whether they're WordPress or otherwise, they could be big publishers, they could be small publishers. Uh, it's concerning to me, that's one thing that's concerning to me. The other is the, the very monetization model of the internet based on advertising is, has led us down a dark path, I think. And mm. if we can figure out different ways for people to monetize, and I know the publishers are all playing around with subscription models and uh, you know special ways to access information, Patreon models and yeah. all of those kinds of things. There's a lot of ferment there. I think I see that as a big risk if people can't, I mean, my I always put, I put everything that I create in the public domain. And I don't charge for things, right? And I'm just a giving sort of person in that way. But I, you know, I'm in a privileged position, and I get paid yeah. well in my day job. I don't have to do that. But if I'm trying to get started, or I've, I've, uh, you know, I'm a musician or a pod podcast or whatever, I've got to figure out a way to get make a little money from that. And the monetization yeah. methods that we have now are not healthy. They depend on tracking users all over the, their everywhere they go, and those are not those are not good for society. They're not good for people, and they're not good for the publishers in the end either. They they benefit all these parties in the middle who don't have the primary stake in things. So if I've got a small web startup, maybe it's a SaaS or maybe it's a uh, WordPress plugin. What sort of monetization opportunities should I be thinking about? We all have to be kind of flexible, I think, in terms of the business model. So if we go to look at something not the web for a minute, let's say um, 
musicians, right? I mean, when, when we Napster came along, everyone said it was going to be the end of the music business. Um, <clears throat> maybe the fact that it's hard to control something that is copyrighted now because it's so easy to send things around and share things and so on, you can't necessarily make money um, on selling records like mm -hmm. people used to do, right? So what do you do? Well, now you've got to go out performing. COVID makes that really hard. And so, uh, you know, uh, you sell merchandise, you, or if you're an author, maybe you can go give talks and be a consultant and stuff like mm. that. And so I think one of the real challenges uh, for creative people is that, that those environments are always changing and you can't get too hung up on the way things were when you were growing up because the the technology infrastructure just changes and there's only so much that you can do you can't do the things that you used to be able to do um yeah. so uh, you know that's why things like patreon have come around and people have, have tried tip jars and maybe those worked for a little while and now they don't uh, there is premium content that people do and so or you get things or you get early access or you get to put a little badge on your site or you just get to feel good that you're supporting someone that you really care about we don't have very good mechanisms still for those things it's hard to do smaller payments and so you have to have a larger subscription and people will only subscribe to a certain number of things so there are a lot of pieces that i think we still need to develop in order to make some of that take the, some of the friction out of those interactions i agree and when i think about the just the world of wordpress and woocommerce specifically kind of where i sit in i think there's so much opportunity to it's that idea of democratizing it, right? Like making mm -hmm. these op making these things accessible. Subscriptions right. is one of the biggest things that Woo is used for. And I think the more that we can do, I mean, what I sort of take from this is that it's important to build things in a way that like lower the barrier of entry, make it easier for people to create. Well, it's, there's this tension there of make it easier without limiting their creativity, right? Yes. Like their ability to say, I'm going to try a different model. I'm not going to just use this one size fits all. I love Patreon's, I think, a good example. They've done, they've helped contribute to democratizing an aspect of commerce. At the end of the day, though, it's still a pretty locked in way of mm -hmm. doing things. I want to see people be able to easily use something like WordPress and Woo using open source to have their own Patreon and that be an accessible thing to do. That seems like. To, to the point you're making about monetization and its and its connection to the future of the open web, it seems that the more we can lower the barriers to monetization, I'm biased in my WooCommerce world, but it doesn't Woo's only a piece of that, right? Yes. Like the more that we can do to to lower those barriers in a way that, uh, frankly, isn't built on proprietary platforms, I think the better. And that's what I'm hearing from what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Well, the other part of it is there another choke point is payments. Yeah. Uh, so in developed countries, people have credit cards. Yeah, it's true. For the yeah. most part, I mean, there's plenty of people who are unbanked in the U.S. and Canada and Australia and places like that, right? Um, then you've there's mobile payments. There's a lot. There's a lot that's happened in those areas. Um, but in order for me to let's say get online with Woo, do I need to to have you know how do I accept payments? Yeah. Does it have to? Do I need to have a bank account? Well, what if I don't have a bank account? How do how can we democratize things even further? so that those sorts of folks can access the power of the internet as well and, and maybe sell things or whether it's services or products or whatever it is. So is crypto the answer? 
<laughs> I think crypto is never the answer um, <laughs> because, and I, I mean that seriously because that's looking at what the technology is, yeah. right? As opposed to what problems are we trying to solve? And I think a lot of uh, crypto stuff has been a solution in search of a problem and that never does well. That to me, when I look at WordPress, uh, we're at what, 38, 39% of the mm -hmm. web by a, by a measure. And if I look at like why WordPress has done as well as it's done, it's it was never the technology. It was how the technology got out of the way and how it empowered creativity. Yep. And when I think about the future of of the commerce on the web, I think it's the same thing. It has to not be about the technology and more about how that gets out of the way and empowers everyday folks to be able to experiment and try things, and including things that I won't always like, and, and also a lot of things that I couldn't imagine. It also requires a bit of a cultural shift, right? So I love Patreon, and, and I back a couple of people on Patreon or whatever the parlance that is there. I'm a patron. Um, but that's you know, paying for nothing is not something that a lot of people are necessarily used to. You know, it's not paying for nothing exactly, but it's pretty close yeah. to it. And I wonder if we need to somehow enable, facilitate, encourage some sort of cultural shift away from this sort of surveillance capital mo capitalism model that works really, really well towards something more community-based. Ah, yes, you were talking about community. So I, I, I had a thought when you were mentioning that before, Jonathan. So um, it used, I don't want to sound too nostalgic, but in the early days of blogging, you know, people would leave trackbacks or they would, there was a community of people who were interested in a certain topic, right? And even then we've got things like Twitter where um, it's kind of, you don't have community anymore because you, the, mm. the groups are so big. Right. And so it's very easy for things to degrade to the lowest common denominator. And you don't really have a sense of community anymore in a platform that that is that wide and deep. Um, yeah. Well, it's actually more wide than deep, right? Because you had this depth of interaction with WordPress and other blogs in the early days because people were commenting on each other's things. And, and it was very exciting to have that community. And I, I think we've really lost that to our detriment. When, so the work that I do in community with Wu, one of the things that's been really important to me is distinguish between our global spaces where like everyone is welcome and the local spaces mm. where like as the community grows, one of the concepts I've worked through is I think it's really important for people to have membership in a local space, even as they experience the benefits of right, like right now, one of the things that's awesome, which I kind of resisted initially is that people are visiting meetups all around the world. That's mm. actually incredible. And what I finally realized, and I was a little slow to do, was like, oh, that's actually great. But the the, the missing piece was just consciously connecting this, this sense of, all right, and you belong to this small local community, right? Like where you can have those more intimate relationships and have that sense of, of connection to something. I think as the internet's opened up more and more, I, I like to think of it like this. Uh, We've all enjoyed these incredible fruits of all the early investment in open source, right? Like I like to think of it like an orchard or a, some or natural thing. We're enjoying the fruit of it now. We have to continue to, we don't have to, but the opportunity is for us to plant new and to continue to do that. Otherwise, eventually the fruit's gonna, like, it's gonna dry up. Right. And when I think about just the size of the web and all the opportunities, we have to continue to invest in community. 
and find these ways of getting people connected. And it's not easy, but it's, 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 and it requires some long-term thinking. Well, I think we have this idea that, oh, something like Facebook or Twitter is a community. No, it's not. No, community yeah. is where, I don't know if you've read about Dunbar numbers or if you even just go bit, back yeah. to, you know, um, hunter-gatherer societies and stuff like that. We conceptually and emotionally, humans cannot deal with a quote unquote community of 10,000 people. That is yeah, not a not, community at a human scale. And what happens is that people don't know how to behave. We haven't figured out how to adjust to the technologies that we've created. And we see the results. People, we have such polarization and anger and frustration. And those are not healthy for individuals and they're not healthy for society. So we have to have communities, whether it's open source communities that develop things or the communities that create things. That's where the human scale comes in. That's the only way, I think, to have a healthy internet. One thing that I'm excited about and I've been spending more time on is how to teach the next generation. And for my own children, and uh, I've been talking to a few friends of mine where we think about, okay, how do we teach kids commerce? Like, how do we teach them not like, here's what to do, but here's how to think. And here, here are ways like focusing on this idea of identifying an audience to serve, finding problems to solve and focusing on solving problems. And it's pretty basic stuff. And I've just noticed that when people get it, when you see the light bulb go on, that's where that creativity sort of gets engaged. And when you think like that, then, then that's where, I mean, there's an infinite number of ways that you can solve problems. And the web, uh, in my mind, is, is such a great example of this, this playground that you can do that. Right. Well, we've come right back to the beginning, which was education. I would be remiss to not ask. Uh, so you, you alluded, you teased us with a Matt story. Let's hear it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So years ago, um, when WordPress was just something that you downloaded, um, and I was working on Jabber, we, we had this whole thing where we had to – we had a company called Jabber as well as the open source stuff, and it got confusing. <laughs> so we decided to change the name of the protocol to XMPP, Extensible Messaging and Presence Protocol. And XMPP, all the XMPP domains, a friend of mine had let them lapse. And so they were in the hands of, shall we say, a somewhat quirky domain squatter. Mm. And he also had WordPress.com. And oh. so he was an interesting person. I don't mind him at all, but he was a little bit quirky, like I say. And you had to get to know him in order to get a domain out of his hands, basically, and and um, work with him, um, which I did for all the XMPP domains. And then um, Matt and I got to talking, and Matt was like, I'd, I, you know, it'd be nice to have WordPress.com. And so I kind of brokered this conversation with this quirky oh, domain man. squatter guy to um, free up WordPress.com so that Matt could get access to that. And I don't know, you know, I was sort of the the introducer of that conversation. I don't know exactly how it all went, but obviously it went well because WordPress.com, <laughs> uh, you know, that's something that Matt and then Automatic uh, got control over. So I was a uh, one of the one of the people who has helped out uh, from a monetization standpoint or the growth standpoint for WordPress. Some people might blame you for the confusion that uh, results <laughs> from the .com.org. I, I think that's fantastic. So there's my um, little uh, WordPress story. Yes. Peter St. Andre, thank you so much for your time. 
And thank you so much for uh, sharing your, your thoughts and, and wisdom and experience in the space. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.